0: Progressive web apps are websites with a look and feel of a native application. Even better, they have similar functionality to native apps. In a mobile-first, device-heavy world, this allows us to build web applications that are able to access the native features of the device while running an application via the web. These features can include offline functioning, notifications, and app caching. This week, we've brought Doug Parker on to talk to us about building Google Bulletin, a progressive web
1: app. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? I've been fighting the introvert hangover that happens every time I go to a conference and stand around for three days talking to people. Um, (laughs) Like I turn into a cranky old man when I get home and then just like seclude myself for a while, and that's pretty much what I'm doing not really fighting much of anything other than just hoping the doorbell doesn't ring.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You were starting to get that way the last day of the conference too, man. I could tell. So Doug, how about you?
2: Well, I mean, uh, a couple weeks ago I was sick and I'm still kind of recovering from that, trying to do all the stuff that I put off while I was sick. But um, from a development standpoint, the last week I spent trying to uh, working on our web app, trying to reduce our, Usage of large blobs that we have to deal with in memory to try and improve the performance of our app. Fighting through that so that we reduce our memory usage enough that Safari stops crashing for us, which has been a <laughs> lot of fun. So I, I would definitely call that a fight.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that definitely sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, anytime you have to deal with Safari is a fight. <laughs> uh, but uh, so. I am still recovering from Music City Tech as well. I didn't get an introvert hangover like Will because I am very extroverted. I did, however, get sick. So I'm more like Doug in that aspect. (laughs) I caught some kind of bug while I was at the conference. um, And I was out of commission all day Sunday and Monday after the conference. Uh, You know you're sick when you can't even work from home. So I work from home on Mondays, and it was that bad. We didn't get to record or anything last week, but we made up for it Saturday with two episodes. Speaking of which, Saturday was a mess. Uh, I left here from Will's house because I was having my bike picked up to fix the front tire. Originally, I would scheduled them to come pick it up on Monday, but they called me back and couldn't. So I was like, all right, be there at 1 on Saturday, and I can, I can get there in time. One fifteen, they hadn't shown up. Apparently, one of the sales guys had taken the truck without notification. So I was like, I called him up. I told them, hey, I have to be somewhere at 2. And uh, they they showed up at 10 till 2. <laughs> and picked the bike up, so we're good to go. I do think someone needs to build an app, maybe a progressive web app to help places track their tow trucks. But uh, Since we're talking about progressive web apps today... I found a fun tutorial for building IoT projects with a PWA. Mm This tutorial from another Google developer uses web Bluetooth, which allows you to control Bluetooth low energy BLE devices such as appliances, sensors and monitors via the web. Basically, it connects the Bluetooth network to the web. Uh, this will allow one application across multiple device types and platforms. The tutorial is really interesting and goes on to show how to control BLE IoT devices from your browser, but doesn't stop there. To get that native feel that we all know and love of having an app downloaded on your control device, be it phone, tablet, or whatever, it goes through how to build a progressive web app for controlling your devices. It's a really interesting combination of progressive web apps in the
1: IoT world. I'll we'll have a
0: link to that in the show notes.
1: Will, who's talking to us this week? Well, I uh, grabbed a comment on the OWASP top 10 by Britchens. It says, Your XSS discussion reminded me a lot of an article on injecting malicious code into NPM. There are some good reasons to minimize the features and dependencies you allow on a site. Um, and then he uh, gave us a link to an um, article from hackernoon.com um, that we'll link in the show notes.
0: Rich, and that's really awesome. Thank you so much for, for that comment. Send us an email to neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com with your contact information because we've got a Complete Developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Google+, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and we're also on Instagram, Path, and Tumblr. You can check us out each week where we do a live session talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Or join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com.
1: Doug Parker is a web developer with Google focusing on HTML, JavaScript, and CSS with Polymer. He is currently working on Bulletin, a progressive web app which which enables users to tell the untold stories of their communities by creating these stories in an impactful, open, and effortless way. In his spare time, he plays a lot of video games and works on some personal development projects for fun.
0: Doug, thanks for coming on the show. Um, One of the questions that we like to ask all of our guests is, how did you first get involved with development or become interested in technology?
2: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so you already mentioned that I play a lot of video games and as a kid growing up, I, I grew, I got that habit very young. Uh, my my brother's fault, blame him. (laughs) But throughout school, I was always strong in math and science, but one day in junior high, I was in an advanced math class and, um, suddenly a group of high school students from just my local high school came in and they were talking about uh, what they called the Global Information Technology Academy. is effectively a four-year computer science program at the high school, um, kind of a STEM program based around uh, computer programming. Uh, and some of the students demoed uh, a lot of the projects that they had been working on. And um, not to mention that throughout the four years of the last project you do for every year was to basically just make something cool and interesting, which for a lot of people became video games. So, they were demoing video games that they had built as part of this program. And that just blew me away. I was I certainly knew that there were people who made these video games, but it had never really occurred to me that that was something that I could do. Um, so, I ended up joining that program and I was in I was in it throughout all of high school and made a lot of uh, really cool programs and a lot of different things, but primarily in video games. That was the thing that I was really interested in. That got me into software development and I continued that on into college and have kind of kept that going. Um, not so much doing video games anymore, but uh, at least just the general software software development industry, which is just, uh, the thing that really hooked me.
0: I got to say, I'm jealous of a four-year Programming course because I got to do three years in high school only because my senior year, they changed the classes they were teaching from, this is aging myself here, but uh, Q Basic and Turbo Pascal to VB and C++. So I got to pick uh, a third language to learn because I just happened to be there when they made that transition. So that's, I, like I said, I'm jealous. Uh, a lot of my friends really were fascinated with the um, the game development and stuff like that. So I, I understand it. Um, yeah,
2: it was a very, uh, it was a very rare kind of program. You don't see those things in a lot of high schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember showing up first day of college and asking some of the other people what their experience was, and they had maybe one year of like AP Comp Sci or something, but nobody had the ex- the experience or background that I had as a result of that. So I'm I'm really grateful to that program, and it's, it's definitely got me to where I am today.
0: That's really awesome, man. So, we've been participating in the trial for Google Bulletin here in Nashville. It was really exciting. Um, Will wasn't able to make it, but I got to go out to, I guess it was the the launch party, whatever, at the Google Fiber office and uh, ran into a lot of of the other organizers and uh, event people that we know here in town uh, and got to meet some, some new ones. It was a really awesome event. And then when we found out what it was for, I was like, Oh, this is great. I'm going to so use this all the time. Um, and then I found out that, you know, it's hard to use on iPhone. So, you know, had to, had to wait a little bit to get to it, but I, I have, I have you've been using it and really enjoying it. Doug, could you explain to our listeners what Google Bulletin is and a little bit about it? Well, I'm glad to hear you guys are excited about it. Um essentially, Bulletin is a tool
2: for publishing stories about your local community uh directly to the web in an impactful, open, and effortless way. Um essentially, a user bulletin can capture text, photos, or videos about a local event that they happen to be at, uh, and then publish them to the web at a publicly visible URL. These stories are they get indexed by search engines, they're publicly available, not trapped in any kind of walled garden. Um they're easily shareable to whatever online communities you happen to be a part of. Currently, we're in limited pilot in Nashville, um, where you guys are, and also in Oakland. And we're still kind of working out the kinks of this, still in the early stages, trying to um, figure out how to solve a lot of these problems and really make make something that lets users um, tell these kind of untold stories, um, all these different events happening nearby that just don't end up on the web in... In the same way that a, a national or global event often is. We've seen a lot of people pick, pick this up at, say, high school sporting events, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a national sporting event that gets televised, everybody knows what that is. But your local high school, you know, you can't Google the scores of your latest high school football game. But with something like Bulletin, we're hoping that you know, parents can, um, can actually tell these stories and show some of the amazing things that happen at these kinds of events.
0: Oh, yeah. I know um, we had another one of your developers come in and talk to the meetup group that we run. But uh, what's really funny is I had run to the store to pick up some supplies. And on the way home, I saw some tents and stuff being set up in one of the small parks uh, over in the neighborhood near me. And so I just, I drove over to see what it was and it was this maker fair. Uh, apparently their semi-annual maker fair where people come in from all over the state and just set up in this one little bitty park here in Bellevue. So I, I got my phone out and I was like, hey, this would be a great time to to practice some Google bulletins since I'm about to go learn more about it. And just went around and took pictures and talked to people. It was it was really cool. I, I think what you guys are doing with that is really awesome. So next, what is a progressive web app? And why did Google choose to build Bulletin as one? So if you try to do a Google search for progressive web app, you're honestly not going to find a whole lot that's really useful. There's a
2: lot of vague and unhelpful definitions, which I think is really funny. But my my favorite definition of what a PWA is, uh, it comes from Alex Russell, who's uh, an engineer on the Chrome team who's heavily involved in progressive web apps. And he defined them as just websites that took all the right vitamins which is equally vague and unhelpful, I think, but it, it kind of gets the point across that a PWA isn't so much a category. There's not a whole lot of like, this is a PWA, this isn't a PWA. Really what PWAs are is they're, they're a methodology. They're a set of principles for websites and web applications to abide by. Simply by following those, those principles, you can take advantage of uh, what being a progressive web app is.
1: So it's not really, it's not Google's technology so much as it is just the right way to do it. Yeah, you could think of it as that, as just like the kind of the best practices for a, we- a
2: website or web application, and simply uh, ideas and principles to follow when developing things. Um, there, there are three core tenets to what Progressive Web Apps are. Uh, mainly that Progressive Web Apps should be reliable. They should, be work- they should work in poor network conditions or entirely offline. Um, that's something that websites traditionally have had trouble with in the past. Effectively, we're trying to get rid of the dinosaur in Chrome, right? When you try to go somewhere and you're just not connected, and you you get the little dinosaur yeah. uh, screen. You play the the silly little uh, endless runner game. Uh, effectively, we're trying to get rid of that, right? You should always be able to get to th- to get to these kinds of sites and applications um, because it should be able to work in these poor network conditions or entirely offline. The second major tenant is just being fast. The interface of a press web app should be smooth. It shouldn't be janky and have awkward scrolling. Um, when you press a button, you shouldn't have to wait for a network request before it actually is able to load and show you something. I think I've seen a statistic somewhere that fifty-three percent of users will abandon a site if it takes more than three seconds to load.
1: Yeah, I've seen something pretty similar to that in e-commerce before, and I yeah you can down a while back, um, like where somebody made the site a certain percentage slower and they. You know, compared that to the loss in revenue, (laughs) which, you know, probably just about got them fired. But uh, it's scary. Um, I think I heard something similar where I believe it was Walmart um, was
2: focusing on increasing performance on their site. And as the page load time decreased, their revenue went up uh, simply because people were more willing to spend more time on the site and browse more things and, uh, commit more to that site. And their their revenue had a very positive impact from that.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I I can totally see that. Um, I I would bet, uh, Amazon has similar statistics to that.
1: Yeah. I, I would imagine they would. In fact, I think, um, I went to a talk somewhere that an Amazon engineer was was giving and they were they were talking about that and a few other things as far as how they um they handle their internal architecture specifically you know around those kind of things and like how much money they lose when stuff goes down or when it's slow and it's staggering. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, when when you're at the scale of these kinds of companies, you know, if a, if a if you know Google shopping goes down for 10 minutes, that's millions and millions of dollars of, of lost revenue.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So with with a progressive web app to to have that offline capability, is it necessary for the user to download anything before being able to use it? Uh, no. From user's perspective, uh, PWA is really just a website. When you visit it, you don't even really
2: know that it's a PWA. Um, you just kind of go to it. You're using the site, not even really thinking about it. However, in the background, uh, a progressive web app will use um, what's called the Service Worker API. Um, it's a recent addition to the, to the web specification, um, which allows them to register. It's effectively a client-side proxy, but this, this enables a website to work offline in the future. So if I then switch into airplane mode or um, lose my internet connection, I can go to that site again and the service worker will cache a lot of the uh, all the, the resources necessary in order to render that site and so the next time i go to it it already has what it needs and i'm able to immediately see it and it does all of that in the background without me having to do anything or worry about anything um, there's no download button there's no extra functionality you need to worry about it just does that all for you
1: in the background nice so um, what does the browser and platform support look like as far as you know progressive web apps is it just you know one or two or you know like how widespread can you expect to run this kind of stuff?
2: So because progressive web apps are really utilizing a bunch of different APIs that are been more or less recently introduced to web specification in the last few years, um, the browser support kind of varies depending on exactly which features you're trying to use. Um, Service worker is probably the most significant one. And that one is covered by pretty much everybody at this point. It's And that's handled by Chrome, Firefox, Safari, um, works on Android and iOS. Uh, I think even Microsoft Edge has it. Um, so pretty much everybody supports service Worker, and so you can take advantage of the, the offline aspect of PWAs immediately on just about any platform. As you start to get to other APIs, things like WebRTC that allow you to capture um, photos and videos directly off the device, support there is a little bit less. Um, Safari supports most of that spec, but there's a couple things in WebRTC that they don't, which make things uh, a little annoying. There are some other things like Add to Home screen, which is an API that allows you to show a little pop-up that basically says, Hey, you've come to our website, you know, three or four times, maybe you want to add us to the home screen. So you don't have to keep trying to type in our URL. Um, and try to get back to us That's supported the, that varies a little bit by platform. Um, Android that works out of the box. It just adds it to the home screen on your device. Um, if you're on a Chromebook, then you can add it to, uh, your, your desktop as an icon, but Safari doesn't support this at all. Um, there's no direct way for uh, the device to do that. Uh, or for a, a web page to do that, I should say. So it does vary a little bit by platform. A lot of the major things are covered by everything, but as you get to the more recent um, APIs, the support does tend to vary a little bit by platform.
0: Yeah, no, I had to, to use the Chrome on my iPhone to be able to use it. Um, so I know like, when, when I went to the event here in town, announcing it and telling us about it they said that that you guys were having some troubles with ios devices i i take it from what you said that seems to be not the case anymore but what troubles did you guys have with that
2: well i won't say it's not the case anymore we're still uh, we're still chugging through it <laughs> hopefully soon it's it's gotten a lot better um st- still working through maybe the tail end of it but the iOS is missing probably the most significant number of APIs. I Back when I was in high school, um, as part of the Global Information Technology Academy, I did some web development back there, and we would always have pains with Internet Explorer and trying to get things to work on that. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. when it comes to mobile development today, I feel like it's really Safari. that's the thing that, that becomes a pain. And so there there are a number of APIs that just aren't, quite fully supported. It also seems to have some issues with memory that we're still looking into. It's It seems to be using a lot more memory than it needs to when we're trying to reduce our memory usage and try to fix those kinds of things. That that creates a very sluggish experience and the page will crash sometimes and things like that. And that's incredibly annoying and incredibly painful to work with. Bulletin is such a media-intensive app. You take a lot of photos and videos with it um, and that's really what causes a lot of these huge memory spikes. So we're still kind of working through those, but it's, it's- really it's just specific to the use case the Bulletin is trying to do and the technologies that we're trying to use that have have caused some of those
1: uh, issues with iOS in particular. With that said, why would a person or company choose to build a PWA? Like what kind of uh, benefits can they expect? So
2: there are a few different advantages. Um, probably one of the more concrete ones is that your app is accessible by a single link or just typing in the URL, just basically that that one click, you're immediately in the app, immediately there seeing the home screen, having full access to what it's supposed to do. I've read a statistic somewhere that if you if you try to navigate somebody to a native app, you know, to the Play Store or the App Store and ask them to download it, some 88% of users will back out of that download and won't do it because they don't want to download that's, that directly onto the device and it just takes... Too long, they don't want to deal with it. Um, And so a huge number of users simply won't do it. Whereas a PWA will simply render immediately and you get instant access to the thing that you were trying to get to. So you're instantly there and you don't have to worry about downloading or any other layers of indirection to get to, to where you're trying to be. So that can have a huge benefit for increasing traffic and getting people to, to actually use actually use your application. Another advantage can simply be if your company has a lot of web developers. Um, if you have a lot of that background, you don't have to learn a whole new tech stack. That that really depends on the existing state of what your company or your team happens to be. But uh, because AWS can emulate a lot of the features that native apps have traditionally had an advantage over in the past, um, you don't really need to relearn a whole new tech stack. You can just use these new APIs on your existing system or existing developer understanding of these features um one one other advantage is simply the PWAs are a single code base that gets shared amongst all your different platforms, right? You you can support and like, without PWAs, you'd have to have like an Android app, an iOS app, a Windows desktop, Mac desktop, Windows mobile, if you really hate yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I used to do uh, Windows mobile development so I could make that yeah,
1: joke. I, I, um, I can laugh at it for the same reason. I, actually, I did uh, some pocket PC stuff back in the day. So, yeah. Oh,
2: so effectively, without you know a PWA, you're trying to make you're trying to build all these different code bases that are effectively doing the same thing, right? An Android app and iOS are usually pretty equivalent in features, but you have to write everything twice because they're in two different languages. The PWA, however, is just the one website that gets rendered on both platforms, and you're able to present uh, similar user experiences on both um, without without having to rewrite everything from scratch. And you get a huge advantage from that. Um, in the past, traditionally, you used tools like Cordova or PhoneGap. More recently, Electron. I think is kind of taking over that space, but those still have to deal with a lot of native integration. You get plugin issues. um, You're still generating native apps out of them. And that can add a lot of additional complexity. Whereas a PWA is just the pure web platform that you just, it it just runs directly as web and you don't need to worry about any of that additional complexity, which can have a huge advantage. Lastly, probably my favorite feature, um, because I've done a lot of uh, Android native app work in the past is that... By working in web, any updates that you add to your system just get immediately pushed out to all of your users, and they all immediately get access to whatever code changes you've made. For native apps, trying to release a new version is a massive pain, simply because users just don't update apps. There's a huge number of... uh, Because I used to work on the Google News and Weather Android app, and there's a huge number of users that are still using the version that was installed by default on their phone four (laughs) years ago. And, uh, and then they are finally feedback asking us to fix bugs. And I'm like, that was fixed two years ago. You never updated
1: uh, <laughs> Sounds like my mother. At, I was just thinking, I'm, I'm looking at the version on mine. Um, <laughs> 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 gonna, uh, I'll, I'll go back and look at that. Feel bad, probably. Cause I, I probably haven't updated either. Although I think I have it set to auto-update. So maybe... Maybe not.
2: Um, but the, the thing is that that becomes a really big problem from a development standpoint because you have to support all these older versions. For instance, our server needs to work with older versions of the app that don't have additional fixes and changes that we've made. Um, and the server can the server has that code to handle those things and we can't get rid of it. We can never improve that. It's just stuck there forever in a way that you can't change because you can't get rid of old apps. Um, whereas with a website, you're updates just go immediately out, and you really don't need to worry about having old versions out and active anywhere. Uh, and that, that reduces the complexity and gives you a much quicker turnaround time. I think with the Android app, we would release maybe once a quarter, but with Bulletin, we release every week. Um, that's that's a huge improvement and it makes things a lot easier when it comes to uh, the continuous development of the app.
0: But yeah, those those kind of continuous release cycles are are nice. We, we've kind of talked about what a progressive web app is. Now, uh, kind of getting into how to build one, Will and I are both .NET developers. Uh, I do some Angular when they let me touch the front end, and he does some Delphi.
1: Uh, I, do, I do Web Forms and MVC and Web API and SQL Server and Delphi, and I'm all over the map.
0: Yeah. So what skill set is needed to develop a progressive web app, or what, I don't know, I guess... Um, what frameworks or technologies can you use to build them? So since PWAs
2: are really just standard websites, they're just using more recent APIs and the spec to, pro- to provide some of these nicer features. It's really just a standard web development skill set is all that, that's really needed. Simply understanding JavaScript and the browser, the DOM, that kind of thing. Um, that's really all that you need to understand in order to be able to take advantage of a lot of these PWA features. Fundamentally, you can use pretty much any framework you want. If you wanted to turn Angular into a PWA, I'm sure it's possible. Admittedly, Angular is a little slow on startup from my understanding, so I don't know that you would do well at the, uh, at the speed tenets of PWA, but you can certainly give that a shot if you really wanted to.
0: Um, things to load with Angular.
2: Yeah. Um, at Bulletin, we use Polymer, which is a Google framework um, that's built around web components, and it uh, it works very well with uh, being a PWA and taking advantage of a lot of these new APIs. Mm-hmm. Though, fundamentally, you really can use whatever you want when it comes to that. Um, the, the really important things in terms of skill set are just understanding the, the web development in front-end space um, and... Probably the one thing is making sure you verify that the API exists before you call it. That's a thing that's really important for a web developer that a lot of other uh, a lot of other disciplines don't really run into. I don't know how often you need to do that from a .NET point of view. It's been a while since I've done that.
1: Yeah. It, well, it kind of depends on how you're calling it, but yeah, we, we've got some tricks, I guess, to make it not painful. But you definitely, yeah, you know, anytime you're in a disconnected <laughs> scenario, you do have to be aware that that could happen.
0: Well, we're, we're calling .NET APIs from Angular applications on the front end, so it's it's fun. Mm. Probably a couple layers of indirection there between those two components. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, whereas mine is, like, you know, straight up uh, AJAX calls you know, from knockout JS code, you know, straight to the back end. Um, so it's, I have to, you know, basically like if it goes wrong for me, I, I get a 404 and, you know, have to deal with that, but I don't really have to check to make sure that it's actually there, I mm. guess. It just all breaks if it's not there.
0: <laughs> Close enough, right? I mean, <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so how would you provide custom features uh, based on a progressive web app?
2: Um, well, I mean, they're because they're just standard websites. In terms of providing custom features, I mean, it's really just a matter of utilizing the the APIs that are in the spec to accomplish um, to create this whatever tool or app that, that you want to build for it. For the case of bulletin, we've got um, our primary use case is being able to capture photos and videos in order to um, to tell the story about whatever local event you happen to be at. Um, we're really just utilizing the WebRTC API in order to capture the this media and storing it locally through an indexed DB database, you know, in case you're offline, things don't upload right away. And then effectively just uploading those to a server and being able to generate a public web page out of it. Um, so it's really just composing those those new progressive web app APIs and being able to um, to use those to construct whatever feature it is that
0: you're trying to create. How do you test a PWA?
2: So it's at least pretty similar to the way most uh, web apps work. I mean, you can use you know whatever standard JavaScript uh, testing framework you happen to use, and you know ninety percent of it's going to be the same as that. Um, the tricky part for testing PWAs is when it comes to service worker and a lot of the reliability aspects of it. A lot of testing tools. I haven't quite caught up to this and they don't have great ways of testing Service Worker just because it's such a weird kind of client-side proxy that's not really directly loaded. And it like, runs in the background between multiple page loads. And so it's it's funky and a little weird to test. What you can do very easily is you can um, take a lot of the logic in your Service Worker, put that to a different file, and then just unit test that file independently of Service Worker. Which can help things a lot, but it, it's still you can need additional integration and end-to-end tests on top of that in order to verify that your service worker is really working correctly, that it's installing correctly and it's not uh, running into errors or things like that. Integration tests can, can really be helpful with that. Um, that's really kind of the, the biggest challenge for PWA in particular. Um, beyond that, the challenge of testing is really in, is really not that distinct from traditional uh, web development,
1: traditional um, unit and integration test with JavaScript. So what did your testing stack look like when you were building Bulletin?
2: So we use Polymer as our framework, um, as our UI framework uh, for Bulletin. And Polymer um, includes Web Component Tester, which is a... A tool that they have that allows you to easily test individual Polymer components. Um, you can, you know, simulate button clicks and text entry and things like that and verify that your, um, your components behaving the way that you expect it to. That's, that's built on top of Mocha, Sign-On, and Chai. It's really combining all those together with a few kind of helpful Polymer APIs for, for working with, uh, their web components. Um, so that, that's, uh, the simple part of, at least for testing an individual polymer component. For the JavaScript code that's not a part of Polymer, um, that's not UI dependent, uh, we use uh, JS units for that right now. I'm currently in the process of trying to migrate that to use Karma as our runner and make something a little bit more modern. But at least for right now, it's using uh, JS um, for unit testing that. And when it comes to integration tests, we use uh, Selenium WebDriver for actually controlling the browser and uh, verifying that everything is
1: working correctly. Very cool. I I was wondering, you know, just kind of what the stack looked like on that. Because actually, uh, one of the few things I did get to do at Music City Tech, as far as like going into a class and and working on stuff, you know, one was Electron, but the other one um, was uh, using Jest for TDD in JavaScript. And that was was a first for me doing TDD with it. So I was just kind of curious what you guys used on a uh, larger production app.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not too familiar with that uh, test framework in particular, but we, we have a we have lots of tests for these kinds of things just because it's such a, a big project. And um, at Google, we really prioritize uh, making sure all the code is as tested as it, it reasonably can be. So there's a lot of that TDD mindset in the way that we build it. We've been
0: pushing a a lot of the the TDD uh, where I work, and we're really good with our API side because. It's kind of built in and it's real easy to write unit tests. And so we're, we're trying. I know the, some of the, the senior and lead UI developers are, are trying to push everyone towards a, a testing mindset when it comes to the front end as well, because they've, they've relied so heavily on QA to do their testing for them. Um, that we're, we're trying to get that. Get that done. So that's that's interesting.
2: Yeah, I've done a lot of i uh, I've done a lot of front end work over the years, and if there's one thing I've learned, is that testing front end is not easy. You know, just trying to verify that views are rendering correctly and data is propagated correctly on so many different devices that you have to work with. It's it could be quite a challenge to to really get solid tests
1: that that actually cover all of the different use cases, and it could be quite difficult to do that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, we're looking at doing in uh selenium at work you know just for running automated unit tests and yeah it's that is no joke a lot of stuff to worry about just just that part just scripting stuff off enough where we can go yeah this thing doesn't blow up under the most common scenarios much less you know like weird (laughs) edge cases like you know safari on an ipad 2 or something weird you know So I definitely get where you're coming from on that one. Could you talk a little bit about how you use Polymer, especially like the uh, web components in Bulletin?
2: So if you're not familiar with web components, the the web components spec is effectively it allows you to create your own kind of HTML tag. You can define your own tag, which has some JavaScript associated with it, and you can set attributes and things like that and be able to put content inside of it and then this tag can uh, be responsible for rendering that in a reasonable fashion. Polymer is really a, a polyfill for that kind of web component spec with some additional framework around it in order to make it easier to work with but this this effectively allows us to create components out of individual ui elements Um, you know we have one component that's our home screen that just that renders um the title bar at the top and the the app drawer that slides out from the side but then it works with another component that actually renders an individual story and it renders those in a giant list, and so each story is its own component that is responsible for rendering itself, um, with some inputs and outputs and that kind of thing. Um, so it allows it allows us to um, to really compartmentalize our view logic, such that each view can be responsible for rendering itself, but also having certain inputs and outputs that that allow it to integrate easily with other components, and then being able to compose them all together into a. Uh, a coherent ui without having a whole bunch of spaghetti code just trying to get things to display and render correctly um that's really the the major advantage of polymer web components and that's that's what we use it for at
0: bulletin uh so how does that compare to like angular components and the way those are are built so it's i have done angular it was a
2: long time ago i don't remember too much of it unfortunately um the I, I remember kind of the module system and the dollar sign scope yep. variable that never goes away. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yep. um, I, I don't remember too much about Angular in particular, um, but it's it, effectively what, what you're doing with Polymer is you're able to define a class which represents the HTML tag, and you're saying that this this is responsible for rendering what that looks like underneath. And then you can compose other components inside of it and say that, you know, this is a list of a bunch of stories. And then those stories are actually a bunch of images with some text under them and something like that. Um, And you're able to compose them all together into this kind of fashion. For individuals who might be using um, React, which has been really popular lately, um, it's very similar to the components that React is able to create. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can kind of easily compose them together and put them inside of each other and connect them all together in, in a useful fashion. And Polymer creates a very similar uh, interface to the way the okay. React
0: works. Sounds, sounds a lot like the way components are with, with Angular, too, because I just remember um, I built our address component. Well, the original one, it's gone through several iterations since I built it when I was learning about components. Uh, and it was interesting because you just get this... Um, I work for the, um, the state, and so we had like our, our state tag dash address, so you just had this element that you could put in wherever you needed that and it had when you put it in there it it filled it with the the HTML and all the JavaScript behind it so uh, i I really like that concept
1: yeah I use that a lot as well yeah. in yeah. knockout um, you know because I've actually got the whole mm-hmm. component uh, bootstrapping stuff set up there of course you know like you have to kind of hand roll a lot of that you know with the older frameworks <laughs> um, so it, it like I'll just I'll just say that there was probably four or five beers consumed um, on a weekend when I got that working because I wanted it and like didn't have time to do it on the clock. So I like spent my own time on it and uh it was it was a lot cleaner, like looking at the way that was done in polymer, because that's you know, that's kind of laid out for you, whereas like I had to you know, roll up all the required JS stuff and, you know, all the, you know, set up all the pathing and get it to where it could figure out what it was doing. I had to, um, I had to like fork a couple of components that we were using and actually like make a copy of them and make them where they would deal with the uh, module pattern that it expected. Um, it was all kinds of fun. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's nice to complain about it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it would probably be better like in a real uh, production setting to have something that, kind of gets you into that position um, beforehand. Yeah, Polymer
2: really provides that as kind of the baseline, is where you start. The framework's able to handle you know, integrating all of the... Comp- linking all the components together and loading them correctly. Um, so it's really easy to to um, be able to compose them in such a way. One of the examples we have is I have like a, a video player that's just responsible for playing a video. is really all it does. But you know, it it takes as an input the URL for the video to play. Um, And so it's got some JavaScript code that actually fetches the video and loads it and all that kind of stuff. But then with this one component, I'm able to insert that video in all the different places that we need to use it um, and be able to play it correctly um, and know that the code is going to be loaded where necessary and it's going to be linked in correctly and it'll be consistent across all of these different uses. And that's really where the, the power of web components comes in.
1: So are there any other, you know, features or elements of polymer that we probably need to mention here? Um the, the major thing is web components. Um there
2: there is there is a web components spec that, that has been um approved by the specification committee. And so you can actually load a lot of the web components system without needing Polymer. What Polymer does is it, it polyfills that system for older browsers that may not support it. Um and it provides a data binding layer on top of this so that you're able to bind, you know, the output of one component to the input of another. Um we use that to pass around our models a lot as you're saying that um, the way bulletin works, you're capturing a story about a specific event. We can, we data bind that story. We have, we have a story class, which contains a lot of the information and then we're able to data bind that and pass it around so that, you know um, on the main screen, we show a list of stories in like a simplified view. And then when you tap on one, it, binds that to a separate full-screen view that actually renders all the different media that you captured associated with that story. So we use data binding in order to accomplish a lot of that, and poly- Polymer is the part that, that implements that. It does also have behaviors, which are effectively a form of mix-in. You're able to mix in behaviors directly into uh, directly into components without need to worry about a complicated inheritance hierarchy or anything like that. Um, So behaviors can be very useful there. Polymer also manages a lot of the underlying DOM APIs and the way the repainting works and that kind of stuff and registering the actual web components and handles events and targeting those events, things like that. So it it provides a lot of the kind of lower level stuff that most application developers wouldn't want to worry about is really what what Polymer tries to provide. There are also a few helper utilities, things like a a jQuery-like selector system in order to have a little bit more control over the over the web component. And you can dedupe property changes if you get a bunch of them at once and things like that. Um, so it's really there to, to simplify the web components API and make something um, really usable uh, for an application developer that doesn't want to worry about a lot of the, the nitty-gritty low-level uh,
0: stuff. Yeah. Really awesome. I'm going to have to share that with some of my coworkers that will
1: really love it. Yeah. I I tend to get uh kinda into the weeds on the low level stuff. Um, you know, hence the, the Delphi development. But um, you know, for productivity I probably would do something more like this. It's just I I like to go get lost in stuff like debugging assembler. Um,
2: it yeah, certainly doesn't stop you from doing that if you really want to. I don't know that I would recommend it, but you can if yeah, you really I mean, want to. It's,
1: I don't know. It's entertaining to, you know, kind of dig into all that kind of stuff. Um, And speaking of stuff that is entertaining and low level and kind of difficult and nasty. um, Can you explain a little bit more about how WebRTC works in here and how it was used to build Bulletin?
2: WebRTC is the the API that we use that enables us to access the device's camera. Um, we can take photos and videos directly from there. And that's the actual content that gets saved with the story and gets uploaded to servers and all that kind of stuff. This has actually been possible before WebRTC. There was an older API to do this, which we use on iOS because it can't fully support this. Um But what WebRTC really enables is that it gives us a direct access to the camera stream, which we can do whatever we want with. So we're able to display that directly in the page, and then we can build a UI on top of that. So we actually render um, render what the camera is currently seeing directly in front of you, and then we put buttons on top of it in order to, you know, take a photo or switch over to video mode and then capture a video or switch out of it and go input some text, something like that. So we have full control over the UI. It's not like a dialogue system of request a photo and then it you know goes out to the camera. Um, that's effectively what Safari does on its older system. But with WebRTC, we have full control over the UI. We're able to render that directly in line and present a much better UX that's not nearly as clunky and it's much um, it's much more streamlined in order to present the experience that we we're trying that we really want to for bulletin. And that's where the the major advantage of WebRTC comes from. We're able to control that whole UI and have a, a much finer grained much finer grained integration with it than we've been able to in the past and be much more similar to what native apps have been able to do with the camera previously.
1: Nice. Um, what just out of curiosity, what does um, you know working with streams look like um, in client side javascript. I mean I do it all the time <laughs> server side, but I haven't done much on the on the javascript end. I mean I've dealt with arrays and you know doing like mm-hmm. btoa and messing around with that kind of stuff, but so
2: fortunately polymer actually abstracts a lot of this away cuz they have components that handle a lot of this kind of thing. But effectively what we do is we're able to get a stream from the the device's camera um, and we basically just kind of pipe it into another component that actually renders it and just displays it on the device and then when the user taps uh, the the take photo button um, there's simply a javascript function where we can on the stream where we can say you know stream dot take photo effectively and then we get back a blob which contains the photo data from what you were uh, from whatever happened to be in that stream right at that moment and similarly we can record video from it by basically just saying stream dot start record and stream.stop recording. There's a little bit more to it than that. There's some other APIs that play into it. But at a fundamental and simple level, that's really what we're working with. So it's actually a pretty straightforward UI, and Polymer abstracts away some of the. The more lower level stuff, like trying to render it in line directly in the page, Polymer does a lot of that for us. So it's, the API is actually a lot cleaner than I really expected it
1: to be, I think. Yeah, I think I'll be uh, probably like poking around in that code later. <laughs> Just because I got I to gotta know. Yeah, that sounds really fascinating. I'm, I'm
0: thinking about yeah. uh, one of the first things I worked on, part of it involved taking pictures Uh, It was a mobile app that involved taking pictures and then uploading them. Of course, I just worked on the API for it, but uh, it probably would have gone a lot smoother with Polymer the way you're describing it because that just sounds really interesting. It was
2: a a lot less painful than I really expected
0: it to be.
1: Yeah, because it sounds like something that would be just awful. You know, that's why I was really intrigued because it sounded kind of fun.
2: (laughs) I I am oversimplifying it a little bit. There are other things um, that go into it, but fundamentally
0: that's, that's more or less the way it works. Cool. Cool. Um, so we, we've talked about some of the the fascinating and the interesting stuff and you you brought up service worker API, which I didn't even bring into the questions, but I couldn't think of any that you hadn't already answered whenever I came up with one. So that was, that was awesome. One thing that we really are curious about is what challenges did you face when building bulletin, um, as a progressive web app?
2: None. Absolutely none. This project's been perfect from the start. Nothing's ever gone wrong. That's (laughs) every project manager's dream. Yep. That's, that's exactly how it
0: happened. (laughs) Um,
2: I'd love to say that. That's definitely not accurate. So the the biggest problem we've really had is probably performance and reliability. Um, we've, we've talked about before, particularly with iOS, um, where the, the memory usage is just not where it should be. Um, we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of very janky, uh, UI on iOS and crashing and the page just dies. Um, that's been a big challenge for us. We're still kind of working through the tail end of that. It's definitely improved a lot, but we um, we still need to spend a bit more on that. Um, but even beyond beyond the, the iOS issues, performance and reliability covers a lot of different things, particularly because of what Bulletin is. We capture a lot of photos and videos. We have to deal with a lot of media. We have to upload them to a, a back-end server, which actually renders them all as, as a separate web page. That that means we have to deal with a lot of very large and complex data. And we have a very complicated syncing system in order to make sure that all content gets uploaded. Because you could be on a flaky network, you could be offline. Um, we may try to upload a video and then it disconnects halfway through and we need to resume it. That that makes things quite complicated. We also need to clear out your local data after you've uploaded it because we don't want to be wasting your device space. right? If you capture a big video we don't want that just sitting on the device forever. We, we need to get rid of that once we have been able to to upload it, and so working through that kind of those kinds of reliability and performance issues in order to make sure that the the app is reliable enough that you're willing to be able to actually go and capture a story about you know your kid's high school football game as um, the example I brought up earlier, right? You know you want to be confident that. Bulletin will actually work for this case. Things will actually upload correctly. The media will actually capture correctly. Um, and it's not going to crash in the middle of it. So that's that's probably been our, our most significant challenge. The one other one I'll mention, which is just kind of a, a unique user interaction, is that users don't really understand what a PWA is, which is fine. PWA is kind of a technical thing. So I wouldn't expect a random user to, to understand that, to have heard that, that acronym or know what it is. The thing is, there are a lot of features that PWAs provide, which users aren't really aware of. Things like just the offline access that Service Worker provides. You know, if I was on a plane and didn't have an internet connection, and I wanted to take a bulletin story, I don't think it would occur to me to open Chrome and type in bulletin.app and expect to get something that works. And yet it totally does. So it's... It's something that in our brains, we don't think of the web as working in that kind of offline way, despite the fact that it totally can work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of users have kind of run into some issues with those kinds of things. Um, they don't entirely understand that we had a lot of issues with the URL early on. We didn't have bulletin.app. We actually had a much more complex URL that users were having trouble remembering, um, and trying to get back to. And so having a a short and memorable URL like bulletin.app has been really
0: helpful for us. Yeah. I, when I first started using it, I had to Google, Google Bulletin,
1: yeah, to get to it.
2: That's a terrible, you. terrible user experience to get
1: there. But I definitely don't blame yeah. you. On well, the plus um, side, you at least had a way to search for it. That's true. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it would be, it would be real bad if it didn't show up in Google. <laughs> then, then I don't know what you do then. The problem is, there's a lot of like help pages
2: and things like that. We have the landing page that like explains what Bulletin is. There's a lot of other stuff that's not Bulletin, but also shows up when you Google it, which makes things kind of complicated and it's especially annoying with autocomplete because you'd expect like after you've been there a couple times you'd expect to just type like b-u-l and hit enter and just suddenly end up there but usually that's not the case usually you end up at like a story that you've made in the past or like the landing page or something but now with app, that that pretty much happens right off the bat which makes things a lot better
0: have you start using that because uh, every time I, I go to it now i uh i get the sign up for it and i'm like but i've already signed up yeah <laughs> And then I have to I scroll yeah, down see, no, and then, I, and then exactly I find the, problem. the sign in. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly the problem,
2: which man, it makes things uh, very annoying. But um, we well, only launched Bulletin.app, I think, last week or early last week. So it's um, it's pretty new is probably why you were not familiar with it. But I definitely recommend going through that. It's much much nicer and a lot easier. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm definitely going to use that. That's That sounds awesome. So, so I think the takeaway is that if you're making an impressive web app, make sure you have a good URL and you host it at the right spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Very, very true. We got our podcast name because the URL was available. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
1: and it's it's weird, like, you know, because we, we came up with the name and then the concept just sort of um, almost filtered down from the name. You know, if if you look at it, it was, it was really, really organic the way that that happened because it was complete developer podcast, and then you know a year or two in, we're like, you know, we're really trying to make developers into complete human beings that have like they're well rounded. <laughs> you know, I guess it was just one of those weird you know twists of fate. I mean, it it works, so yeah,
0: it it just fell into place for us. So that's I, I completely agree with you, though. You
1: know. You, Get your web, your web address, because that's
0: that's a big thing for people.
1: Yeah, we should have named it Two Rich Dudes, and then put that in oh, yeah, place. <laughs>
0: like idea. Because
1: it wouldn't have been true at the start. Is not now either, but um, that would have been a good way to go.
0: I don't know. Given our luck, it would be like what happened to our uh, with our email address which is oh, neckbeards. Yeah, neckbeards and neither one of us has a neckbeard anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guys, progressive web apps are a new way of combining web technology with a mobile first mindset. They allow you to build one site that runs like a native app on multiple devices. We want to thank Doug for coming on the show and talking to us about progressive web apps and how he's built one for Google. We both learned a lot. I know I'm going to be looking a lot more into service workers now. So thank you very much for that. Doug, how can people find out more about Google Bulletin and progressive web apps in general?
2: So I've already mentioned the bulletin.app URL. I think we talked about that a lot. Um, that's really the that's really to get to the actual app. You can also do google.com slash bulletin. That's more of an informational explaining what it is and uh the sign-up process and that kind of thing. The the page you kept hitting when you didn't want to hit that. But if you're trying to learn more about bulletin, then that is the page that you probably want to go to. Um when it comes to learning more about progressive web apps, um Google has been pushing for those um since their inception. And so on the Google developers website, um developers.google.com, there's a lot of stuff on progressive web apps. And that that could be really helpful. I, I when I was first getting ramped up on this, I, I looked a lot to that. There's a lot of very useful videos from Google I.O. and from the Polymer team and things like that that talk about a lot of these aspects of PWA. So I definitely recommend those.
0: Awesome! Thank you again for coming on the show. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the
1: Trade? Well, I just want to point out uh, something that I really noticed uh, in this discussion, You know, it's like You know, you've got all the Polymer stuff and then progressive web apps, and just how cool that is. But if you notice, all the stuff in there that was cool was designed to meet a business need. You know, the disconnected app stuff, all the, you know, use of the service workers, um, all that kind of stuff was set up uh, to to win at business. And I just want to point that out. Like, if you're trying to uh, build something cool, find a business case for it first. It makes it a lot easier to actually get away with it. Um, And I don't want to add too much more to that other than just approach it that way. So that's all I got. If you have a question or comment please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com our theme music is an excerpt from standby for titanfall by pure bells available on soundcloud and licensed through creative commons
0: the intro music for iot's is hillbilly hip-hop by jason belcher for references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions.
1: Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to completedevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.